Matthew 5. And we've been going through, as a congregation, the Gospel of Matthew, and the last several weeks through the Sermon on the Mount in particular. And in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Matthew chapter 5 through 7, Jesus is articulating a vision of what his kingdom is about. And what we've been saying is that Jesus is articulating a vision of living that leads to flourishing. It's why he begins with these nine statements of blessing that we say beatitudes, but he's saying blessed are the poor in spirit. And a better way of seeing that, translating it, is flourishing. Flourishing are the poor in spirit. Flourishing are the meek. Jesus is presenting a vision of life that is rooted in human flourishing. But there's a problem. There's a problem because anytime we talk about a vision for human flourishing, we're reminded that we live, we we are living out that vision in a world of pain and rejection. There's a problem, and not just a problem, but really kind of the problem. And so there's this temptation to just think of we can have this idealized way of living, human flourishing of justice and peace and all the things Jesus talks about. But then we're sobered up that we are living in a world with people. Where people harm others. And sometimes I found in life, as I'm thinking of Jesus has this vision for me about human flourishing... I'm living in a world where people aren't sitting around thinking, you know what, man, how can I be about Jay's flourishing? How, how can I operate and work out my life in a way that helps Jay out? Because I heard this, that, Jay, that Jesus is really about human flourishing for Jay. And so, how, no, rather, often people live in such a way that they view flourishing as at odds with the flourishing of others. And the flourishing of one person might be attention to the flourishing of another because we define flourishing often as means of just personal success at the expense of others. And so Jesus wants us to avoid just seeing, having this idealistic vision that's detached from reality. And so now he's going to press in on this sermon. He's going to press in to, for, and ask us to consider, what does it look like for us to enable human flourishing in a world that is fracturing? How do we live this out in a divided and often hostile world? That's where we're going to be these next several weeks. We're going to be getting concrete. What is Jesus' vision for life? How does it apply to the realities of the lives that we're living. And Jesus begins this transition in the sermon by getting really concrete and rooting the vision in himself, in a person. Our passage this morning is one of the pivotal texts in all of the Bible. And so let's read it this morning as as we begin. Again, considering Jesus wants us to to live out this vision. He's wanting, uh, he's wanting to construct a way of living that leads to flourishing. And in order to get there, we need to have a concrete center, a foundation that enables this. So Jesus says this. I'm going to read our passage. Matthew 5, verse 17. 
Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Uh, This past summer, uh, we had a few expressions on Friday evenings where we had a summer movie night and invited people from the congregation and people from the community to come and attend. And at one of these movie nights, uh, there was a few of us, we were hanging out talking, and there was a, a brother and sister, and they were talking about remodeling their home. And the guy was talking about the fun of demolition, demolishing the home as you're going to remodel it. And, and when I think of demolishing something, demolition, as it relates to repairing something, I think of, of two things. Uh, first, I think that if anyone can break something, anyone can demolish something. And I know this because when I, uh, after college, I led a team of college students uh, to New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina and to the Ninth Ward. And we, uh, one of the ways we were serving the community was by doing some demolition work in their homes. And if you're ever wanting to repair something, you don't want me leading anything unless it's demolishing. You just give me a sledgehammer, say, break these things, and I can do that. But construction is a little harder. So uh, demolition, anyone can do demolition, but also I'm reminded that when you're doing demolition, you need to be careful not to break the wrong things. Apparently they have load-bearing walls, and it's called a load-bearing wall (laughs) because if you break it, If you take down the load-bearing wall, it was bearing other things. And it's just a matter of time before the whole house is demolished and unravels. Anyone can tear something down. And you need to be careful about tearing down the wrong thing or else the foundation is removed and everything crumbles. We live in a day and age that many say is defined by deconstruction. And deconstruction is the process of tearing down different convictions and belief systems in order to, in order to, and what people hope to get to is the core truth underneath it all. And so we have deconstruction in our world, deconstruction of our view of government and business and the church Deconstruction of some of our views related to gender and marriage. There's deconstruction all around us. And it's not all bad. It's important. If, we're, if you're going to craft a home, there are some things that need to be torn down. Jesus, as we'll see in the passage, is deconstructing some approaches to God. But the problem is when deconstruction becomes a way of life. The problem is when all we can do is deconstruct and we're not able to build. The problem is when we take a sledgehammer to some of our core convictions, when we tear down the wrong things, and then we're unable to build a house and a life that can lead to flourishing. 
And also, anyone can deconstruct. We applaud it today. We applaud the expressions. We applaud people who are unwilling to question and unravel things. But really, anyone can question things. The challenge is how to construct, how to build a life that leads to flourishing. This is what Jesus is offering us today. In the passage, he says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I'm not just deconstructing. I'm not just destroying a way of living. I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill them. Jesus, he could have said, as it relates to the law and the prophets, he could have said, I have come to destroy. I have come to abolish. There's a new day. The king is here. The old ways are completely done. Move on from that old way of thinking. There's a new day here. Or he could have said, I have come to just affirm the law and the prophets. Nothing's changed. I'm just a better expression of what they said. No, he said, he said I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. This morning, I want to invite you to consider how Jesus fulfilling the law and the prophets can enable you to lead a fulfilling and flourishing life. Four ways Jesus deconstructs and how he constructs a way of living that leads to flourishing. First, how Jesus, he's helping us to construct a life. We learn here that Jesus can be the guide to ultimate life. Jesus is the authoritative leader and guide to living. And the text begins, it says, do not think that I have come to abolish the law and prophets. Now, it's important that we know the setting here. Jesus is teaching on the mount. He's giving a new law. And we're reminded of Moses on Mount Sinai, speaking on behalf of God to the people of God about how to live. Jesus is being positioned here as the new Moses. And he says, I have not come to abolish the law or the prophets. Now, what is he talking about? The law, when we think of law, we often think of rules. And the first century Jewish audience, when they thought of law, what Jesus is talking about is not just a set of rules. He's talking about the Torah or the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures. And the first five books of the Hebrew Scriptures records God's instruction on how to live. And he also says the prophets. And the prophets were everything after the Torah, the Psalms, the books like Isaiah and Daniel and Habakkuk. And in the prophets, what they do is they take the instruction of God and they challenge people to live that out in life. Jesus is saying, Jesus is positioning himself as the authority to know the will of God and how to live that will out in life. Jesus is the authority for God's will. And so one could say today that Jesus here is deconstructing. He's tearing down a way of living that has no place for an outside truth authority. Jesus is deconstructing deconstruction. Now, deconstruction, as we've said, it's having its moment in our day and age. And we see this in a number of ways. You see it in film where we, we long for heroes now that, that are gritty and live in tension. Uh, we see this 
by the way we celebrate doubt. And I want to be clear, doubt, we, we, want to, we relate to God and we want to be honest. And so at Scarlet City, we want to be a safe place for people who doubt and can reflect on what it means to walk with God. But where it can be unhelpful is when we just celebrate doubt and say to doubt is the, is the end. And so in our deconstructionist world, we're often, we, we doubt, we, 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 we look at gritty heroes, and we're often cynical. To live by faith is, is seen as, as lesser than someone who's willing to ask questions. And this is a product, our, cult, our cultural moment right now is, is, has not come by happenstance. It's, there's been a number of forces. Uh, one is a French philosopher, Jacques Derrida, who is one of the most prominent philosophical figures in the 20th century. And he coined the term deconstruction, and the idea was to to tear down belief systems so you could get to that one core truth. And there's part of that that's good, but the problem is when that becomes a way of living, when that becomes a way of viewing everything, It's a life that just criticizes every path, but is unwilling to chart a path itself. It can can tear down, it can deconstruct, but it cannot construct a life. And the reality for you and us is we need perspective. We need a voice of wisdom that encourages us on the path of life. I shared a few weeks ago about a struggle I have with my grandpa. Every time I leave their home and I'm driving into Cincinnati, he wants to give me directions on where I'm going. And, and every time I, I, I have this rebellious part of me like, Grandpa, stop. I'm not, your, I'm not a little grandchild anymore. I, I know how to get to Cincinnati. I don't need your help. I don't need your directions. There's this part of us we just, we just don't like when someone's saying, here's the way to go. We don't like when someone, especially if it's maybe a parent who's wanting to give advice on parenting. It's like, ah, it might even be right and wise, but there's just something in us that doesn't want to hear that advice because we don't want to be someone who needs the help of others. And you know, it's one thing to get directions on going to a place, and praise God, we have Google Maps. So I really don't need my grandpa's help. And if life was just a series of getting from one place to another, we would be fine. But you know what? Life is complex. As we said, we're living in this challenging world. And so it's not so much as just getting to a destination as much as it is climbing a mountain. If you are like, you know what? I want to flourish in life. And flourishing means I'm climbing Mount Everest. Who do you want giving you guidance for your journey? You don't want to show up at base camp having just read a book. Hey, I read a book. Point me up. I'm going that way. Here I go. You won't make it. You also don't want to be just a part of a group that says, you know what? We are enlightened thinkers here, all of us in this. And we're, we're um, Western, and so we're about democracy. And so the way we're making it up the mountain is we're all going to take votes, Anytime there's a challenge, we'll vote, and, 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 you know, majority wins. You won't make it. What you need is an authoritative guide. You need someone who's been up and back 
multiple times. You need an authoritative guide. Life has challenges. There's so many times where we don't know what to go, where to go. And deconstruction wants to place you and me at the center of everything. And what happens is we can't build a life. Jesus can be the authoritative guide, the one who has perspective to enable us to guide and make it through the challenges of life. Also, how Jesus helps construct a life, Jesus calls us to a way of wholeness. He calls us to a way of living that is rooted in wholeness. He says, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. Uh, one scholar commenting on this, I think he puts it so well. I want to read, read it for you, what he says. Jonathan Pennington says, Matthew's Jesus is striking at the knees of any misunderstanding of Christianity as anti-Semitic or antinomian. And antinomian simply means a way of living that has no place for moral law. He continues, he says, Jesus has not come haphazardly, irreverently, or thoughtlessly to attempt to abolish, overthrow, disregard, and snidely ignore the Mosaic Covenant and God's work among his chosen people in the past. He is not a sophomoric or lunatic revolutionary proclaiming freedom from all moral and ethical constraints. This would be a gross misrepresentation of Christianity, one that apparently Paul had to fight against as well. What he's saying is this, if your view of Jesus is that he comes and liberates you from any sense of moral living, then you, you have a gross misunderstanding of who Jesus is and what he's, he's calling us to. If we're going to pursue human flourishing, our behavior and how we live matters. But also, it's not just the law per se. Jesus says this in verse 20. He says, for I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees. Now, righteousness is a word we often struggle to understand. And Pennything defines it. He says, when Matthew talks about righteousness, he says, it's whole person behavior that accords with God's nature, will, and coming kingdom. It's whole person behavior. It's having our head, heart, and hands aligned with God's will and God's desire. Jesus is deconstructing compartmentalized spiritual living. And this was the challenge. This, this is why he had such a problem with the Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. Because when they thought of God's law, they thought merely looking the part not being the part. Jesus deconstructs doing good religious deeds without being real with God. So if you profess faith in Jesus, and you embrace him as your king, and you treat a friend or your children or a co-worker with content, if you're angry as he'll go on, as we'll see next week. If you're angry with them in your heart, though you may not murder them, if you harbor this bitterness and anger, you're not living out his kingship in your life. If you lived and are dominated in unrepentant lust for others, you're not living Jesus as king in your life. 
If when someone wrongs you, you want to wrong them back and seek vengeance on your own, you're not living as Jesus King in your life. How we live matters. Jesus wants to integrate our head, heart, and hands. And then we see when Jesus says he's fulfillment, we see that Jesus embodies this. He embodies it. Jesus embodies the way to ultimate life. When he says, I have not come to abolish, but to fulfill. What he's saying here is that I embody the teachings of God. When we see Jesus, we see God's perfect law lived out. He never gives a command that he doesn't keep himself. He is the model. And this is why we can trust him. We can trust him. If you want to climb Mount Everest and you go to base camp and someone's there and they're like, I'm your guide. I've never been there. But I'll take you. Be nervous. If you show up and you're meeting with your doctor and he or she is smoking and talking to you about why you should quit smoking, you might have a little bit of a problem. If you go to meet with your trainer in the gym and they can't do a sit-up, might, might have a little trust issue. If you're meeting with your nutritionist and while you're talking, they're eating a Big Mac from McDonald's, you know, might just not trust them a little bit. No, what you need is someone who's been up and down the mountain. What you need is a person who's kicked the habit of smoking. What you need is a trainer who's in shape themselves and a nutritionist who has the willpower to say no to unhealthy food. What you need is someone who trusts, you can trust someone who embodies what they're encouraging you to do. And that is, friends, why there's so much deconstruction today. Because when we look at our government and we see political leaders who use their power to benefit themselves, on both sides. When we look at businesses and corporations who will cover up misdeeds to meet their bottom line. When we see Hollywood lecture about equality and the rights of women, and yet these figures abuse women. When we see churches preaching sermons able to criticize and critique the world, but not living out the essence of the kingdom of God in their own life. It leads us to wonder, huh, who can we trust? And if, and if that deconstruction leads you to a place where you say, you know what, all I can trust is myself. I'm the only one. I, all I can trust is me. Are we any stronger Jesus is the one, the one whose foundation you can build a life, who you can trust, because he perfectly embodies God's love and justice and care and equality for all. And this leads us to our final way of understanding this. Jesus, he's helping us construct a life 
He is the authoritative guide. He calls us and challenges us to live this out. He embodies it. And lastly, he paves the way to ultimate life. Jesus deconstructs self-made righteousness. He deconstructs religion. He says, again, looking at our passage in verse 17, he says, Do not think I have come to abolish the law. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And then he says this. It's very interesting. He says, For truly I say to you, unless heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot. He says, not the smallest thing will pass away from the law until all is accomplished. Until all is accomplished. What was the law meant to accomplish? What was it meant to accomplish? Again, we mentioned this earlier, but when we think of law, we think of a set of rules. And that's not primarily what the law was. It wasn't just a set of rules. It was God's will, God's design on how to live and flourish. And one of the challenges in that living is sin, and sin has separated us from God. And so the Torah and the prophets were meant to to help us know how to reconnect with God our maker. And when Jesus says he fulfills what the law was meant to accomplish, Jesus is saying that he has come to bridge the gap between us to God and God. Jesus ascended up this hill for this sermon on the mount. And one day he will ascend up the hill of Golgotha and ultimately ascend up the cross in order to not just speak the law, but to fulfill what the law was meant to accomplish, and that is to unite us with our maker. Jesus doesn't just guide and point the way. He doesn't just embody the way. He empowers the way because he paves it through his death on the cross and resurrection. And that's why later Jesus says this. It's, it's very interesting. In verse 19, he says, Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And we have a huge problem here, a massive problem. Because the scribes and the Pharisees were the righteous people. They were the ones that we, everyone looked at and said, if there's anybody good enough, it's them. And Jesus says, you need to be better than. Your righteousness has to surpass that of the scribes and Pharisees. And it's like, Jesus, hold up. Is, did Jesus come and say, look, in the past, you were given a law, and I'm telling you, I'm here now, and it's going to be even more extreme. Is Jesus coming to say, look, I'm, I'm taking the marker of morality that much further. You need to be better than everyone in the past if you want to make it into my kingdom. Is that what he's doing? No. No. We divide the world between the righteous and the unrighteous. The person who looks the part, performs the part, keeps the law, and those who don't. Jesus divides the world differently. He divides the world between those 
who know they cannot keep the law and those who think that they can. Jesus is inviting us. When he says he has come to fulfill the law and the prophets, he has come to do what we never could, and that is perfectly keep it. You could say, Jesus, he doesn't just point the way up the mountain. And the mountain that he's calling us to climb is not just Mount Everest. People can climb Mount Everest. They do it all the time. I've heard there's like long lines. You'll go and you'll just wait in line up a mountain if you want to climb Mount Everest. So I've heard. I'm never going to do it myself. But if you want to, if you work out and you get the right equipment and you hire the right guide, you can make it. But the mount to God's holiness is something none of us can climb. Jesus isn't just the guide. He's not just the one who points the way for people. If they just went the right route, they could make it. Jesus is the one who puts us on his back and takes us up the mountain. What is the foundation of your life that enables you to construct a way of living that leads to flourishing? Would you embrace Jesus as your guide? In the confusion and questions of life, here is a truth that I can trust because he embodies it. He calls us to wholeness, integrated living, And because we cannot keep it on our own, he's paved the way. Let's pray. Father, thank you for sending your son to do what we never could. Thank you for giving us good news, for giving us the gospel. That we're not here today just thinking of better tricks to be better people. That we're not here today to just criticize others outside these walls. To focus on the shortcomings of others. But we're here today offered new life. New life. And not just life as in a beating heart and a brain that works, but, but real life. Sustained, satisfied, whole life. And God, would you take that good news and just drill it into our heart? Because in the air that we breathe, in our world, we want to make it about us, put ourselves at the center. Lord, root your son at the center of our life. May he be our foundation so that we can live and be people of joy and mourning when they're sad things. People who can live with much and who can live with little. May Jesus be our foundation. Amen.